The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present this recording from Saver 2013 in New York City. This recording is from Friday, June 14th. West Coast Beer, East Coast Food, featuring Jamie Floyd and Nikos Ridge from Ninkasi Brewing Company. Thank you for coming tonight. My name is Catherine Porter Drapo. I'm an event manager at the Brewers Association. Um, Saver, thank you for coming. Saver is brought to you by the Brewers Association. We're the National Trade Association for small independent craft brewers. Um, if you could please turn your cell phones to silent for or vibe whatever for the remainder of the salon. Um, Please wait until you're prompted by uh, Nikos or Jamie here before trying your pairing so they can explain to you what flavors you're tasting. Um, a big thank you to all of our supporters, um, especially BSG Craft Brewers, who's supporting this particular salon, um, and Manhattan Beer Distributors, who brought all their beer in for us. So without them, we couldn't have this great event for you tonight. Um, all the salons are being recorded, so you can listen to them on Craft Beer Radio, um, and they will be also available on craftbeer.com after this weekend. Um, so I have for you Nikos Ridge, CEO of Ninkazi Brewing Company, and Jamie Floyd, brewer. Do you have a bigger name, bigger name than that? Founding brewer of Ninkazi Brewing Company. Um, these guys have been working together as partners for seven years now with Ninkazi. Um, they started out just the two of them, and now they're up to 87 staff uh, to help them in their mission to share good beer. And um, anything else you want to say before I get it over? All right. So <laughs> welcome to Nikos and Jamie, and thank you all again for being here tonight. All right. I'll try to uh, keep the microphone further away because I'm pretty loud in general. So I just want to welcome everybody here. Uh, it's a super big honor to be a part of Saver for the second year. Uh, Nikos and I first did this uh, last year in D.C. and loved it so much that we decided we would want to be back. So it's great to be here, great to be in New York, and thank you so much for coming out tonight. Um, you have any yeah, opening definitely. remarks? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We're excited. Um, feel free to... You know, shout out questions or anything as they come up. We'll go through the food pairings, talk a little about the history of Ninkasi, the history of our company, and the history of beer a little bit in general, and then how uh, the beers that we're tasting are going to pair with the foods that we have. And we've got a great lineup of unique uh, beers that don't uh, hardly ever make it out of the brewery, let alone to the East Coast. So it should be a good opportunity for everybody. Um, so I believe they are starting with the first course now everybody has does everybody have beer is anybody still missing beer so other than us <laughs> critical <laughs> critical component so you know i think i'll start by saying that i was pretty excited when the brewers association suggested that we do new york foods with west coast beers and uh it was kind of a fun thing to just think about and try to be a little bit regional about the foods that are coming out today um, and then to be able to pair them with food. To give you a little background, I um, started taking cooking classes when I was in junior high um, and uh, spent a lot of time cooking food as a profession before being a professional brewer, um, including running kitchens and all sorts of food service work. But uh, food is an incredibly important part of what we do, and that's most importantly because beer is food. So news at 11 on that one. Um, uh, Ninkasi was a Sumerian goddess of fermentation. The Sumerians were not the first to make beer, but they were the first to write about it because they invented written language for us. And it was nomadic tribes that became agrarian to grow barley to make bread and beer with. And it is a part of our mission to remind people that beer is a staple of civilization. It has nourished us since the very beginning and will continue to nourish us through the rest of time. Um, so it's really exciting to be here to share that sort of food and beer uh, pairing message. We probably, I probably personally do uh, somewhere between 30 and 40 brewers dinners a year uh, in partnership with other restaurants. We actually don't have a restaurant. We focus just on beer. Uh, we want the world to know that that's our 
our food contribution to the world. We do have food carts that come. Uh, different food carts come and feed people each day, um, which is pretty exciting. It brings different people down each day. And then we have some snacks that are available that are made locally, uh, a lot of times using our beer as an ingredient. So we keep it pretty chill that way and kind of run more of like a beer garden experience where people can come and enjoy beer in each other's company. Um, so to get started here with the beer, uh, the first beer that we have tonight is Sterling Pills. This is uh, a beer that's brewed in the northern German style, uh, but uses 100% American ingredients. So we got our malt from uh, basically Idaho and Montana, or somewhere in that approximation, and all the hops are Sterling hops that are grown in the Yakima Valley. Uh, so we're doing kind of our shot at making an American version of a German style. It's 5.1% alcohol and 30 IBUs, um, and uh, we think that it, it does a pretty nice job of that. Oh, yeah. Why don't we do that? Good, good idea. Part of my job, one of the jobs, I wear many hats as being an owner of the business, but one of the jobs that I uh, am a part of is sensory evaluation. And so we have a sensory lab that's part of our QAQC uh, quality assurance, quality control, as all food plants have. And uh, analytical equipment, we have a, a full analytical lab that monitors our beer both biologically and also uh, just, you know, chemically. Um, but instruments don't drink beer, we do. So that's the uh, cool thing about it. So we actually, I spent a couple of years getting some training, mentoring under some of the best sensory people in the United States, um, and spent a couple of years, or last year and a half, training 14 members of our staff and three community members to be sensory panelists um, that allow the ability for us to go through all of the beers that we put into production in small quantities to make sure that we're offering you the most consistent and high-quality beer that we can. And it really... Uh, as a brewery grows and stuff like that, that becomes um, tantamount to all experience that's there. So it's really important to have that check in there. Um, but for that period of time, what we do is we analyze beer in a way that's slightly different. Our relationship to beer is timeless. Uh, like I said before, we also discovered beer in a, at the same time that we started written language and communicating with different clans of people. And so our relationship to beer is completely casual, and we feel really comfortable just talking with beer in our hand. That's a great part of it. But when you're evaluating beer, there's a technique that you can do that maximizes the amount of knowledge that goes into your brain. Because our, our, every computer you've used is the best approximation of our brains. Our brains are way better than any computer you ever had, which is cool. Because it did take our brains to make them to begin with. But uh, basically, if you go through this technique, it will allow you to remember as much as you can about the beer in the moment, and then also, like a good library, be able to pull it out later. So what we're going to do is go through the, the sensory technique real quickly. Um, the technique is also what's done for not just panel, but for judging homebrew or when I get the opportunity to judge the Great American Beer Festival. Uh, so this is kind of the process that we go through. It takes a little bit longer. I'm going to be kind of quick about it and not overly nerdy about it because I'm pretty nerdy, but... Um, we'll go ahead and go, do, go ahead and do it. So the first thing you want to do is take a look at the beer. You're going to identify it for color. You're looking for clarity, whether it's light or dark, if there's carbonation in it. It's all sending images to your brain. If I were writing notes about that on the way down, I would do what I call a drive-by sniffing. So take a brief sniff of the beer. This is awakening your olfactory system. The olfactory system is the part of your brain that gives all vocabulary words, all the exciting things about being alive. So your olfaction is every cool thing you've ever thought about, any food or beer. All right, so now that's awakened. You're going to do two deep sniffs. This... So this is sending messages to your brain. Is this an ale or a lager? Is there sulfur involved? Is there fruity esters from ale? Is this uh, a double IPA? Does it have coffee in it? These are all things that could go to your brain. Now we can finally taste the beer. So go ahead and take a sip, allowing it to coat your tongue. Let it rest there and let the carbonation do its trick and swallow it. Now you're putting words in flavor because so much of our olfaction starts up here in our brain, but it, we associate it with the flavors that we put in our mouth. So now you're saying, wow, this really is probably a lager and not an ale. Um, some earthy, spicy notes in the hops. Maybe a little clean malt flavor in the end of the malt expression. Images, things going on. The final thing that we like to do is called a retronasal evaluation of the beer. And so the deal is, is that if we're not here in this environment and we're in a bar or a restaurant, there's going to be background aromas and flavors everywhere in the air. So think of like 
Irish bar or something, and then all these flavors and aromas are going to come into your mouth or into your nose and your mind. So what we want to do is actually physically plug your nose or simply not breathe while you swallow the beer, and then you're going to exhale through your olfactory system, so through your frontal cavity and all that. And this is all what I call the fine-tuning. Do people understand? Do you get the difference for that? Now go ahead and let go. You can let go of your nose as well. Breathe outward. So, and this is the part where, in which you're going to get like super fine details where you might say, wow, if, like if this was an IPA, this is really grapefruity or tangerine or something like that. And it's also the, the point at which if there was flaws with the beer, you might start to tune into it. You know, if there was a little something, something in there that you weren't quite sure the first time, it might start popping up here in that retronasal. Everybody get that? All right, well, cheers. You guys just evaluated a beer. All right, so um, I don't know if I signal food being brought out. Is that the, do I do that? Go. Oh, everyone has their food ads out. Okay, great. I could, somehow I couldn't see all the little trays in front of you. They did a good job of hiding that for us. Um, anyway, uh, what's that? Well, Nico's already had his. So for the, for the first course here, we have Sterling Pills and uh, Pastrami. Pastrami is, you know, from my West Coast perspective, definitely a New York food. Um, and what's wonderful about this is that there's so much fat, the goodness that's in this meat that really holds the flavor that's in the beer. This beer is very simple in its nature. It has a lot of finesse to it, a little residual sugar. And sugar carries flavor the way that salt does. So it magnifies flavor. Not quite as extreme as salt does, but it does the same thing. So it's a really important part of all of the beers that we make is to have um, balance to all the beers so that the flavors are not overwhelming in one way or another. There's, uh, it, it's pretty easy to do with a, uh, a Pilsner here, uh, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So what I love about uh, this pairing is that you get all of the beautiful flavors of the pastrami um, and, and the seasonings that are in there. And then they put a little bit of the spicy mustard in there that kind of brings and pops it out as well. So if you haven't had a chance to do that, go ahead now and try the pastrami. Take a bite. Take a sip of the beer and then go ahead and eat some. Once you've gone through that, then uh, take a bite of the food and then also put some beer in your mouth at the same time and swirl it around too. It's always a little fun game to do. It all ends up in the same place, so. I think I'll do the same. It's good pastrami. Nikos, you think so? Um, well, Jamie's more the sensory and beer analytical side, and I focus a lot on the business. So, one of the things that uh, you know I love about our company and the namesake, as he mentioned, uh, the Sumerians were the first culture that we know of that brewed beer, and Ninkasi was the goddess they worshipped for fermentation. And as a part of uh, you know, history, beer has had a significant role. Some even speculate that it was the reason why um, the Sumerians settled out of a hunter-gatherer existence into an agrarian society, so they could grow barley to make bread and beer. And in settling, they were able to develop culture. And one of the things that we, we really believe strongly in is the idea that uh, great beer contributes positively to society and culture. And so we do a lot to partner with different organizations and groups and be a part of the communities where we operate. So it's a really fulfilling job to have doing that. And uh, I'm always uh, intrigued by the idea that there is no such thing as human culture separate from access to beer. It's never existed except for artificially um, at certain points. But uh, it's kind of an awesome thing when you think about it. I mean, and pretty much everybody's having a good time when they're drinking beer and they're hanging out and they're socializing or just enjoying themselves. So it's a great opportunity to kind of reflect on that, that, you know, it's, it's a consumable product and it's something that you know, that we make uh, and that we drink, and it kind of flows within the fabric of our life, a lot of us. But to kind of take a step back and realize kind of the critical role that it's played in bringing people together over the years and uh, creating that community and culture around it is, uh, is pretty exciting for me. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I had a sociology degree before I started brewing, and so the cultural aspects of beer have always fascinated me, and it, it really is a, a testament to us. It's so close to us, beer is. And not for everybody, obviously. There's people that resist 
the original foods and stuff like that in their lives, and that's okay. But for us, we get this chance to really, you know, um, share a lot with each other. And human beings are incredibly social animals, if we want to take it to that level. We're incredibly social animals. Not all animals are super social. Sharks tend to hang out kind of by themselves a lot. You know, there's just different ways in the world. But for us, we interact with each other. And so it is through that casuality and that expression of beers that, that make us feel comfortable and allow us to talk to each other, which is pretty awesome. That's why the pub is so important, you know. Uh, most of the great revolutions of the world started in pubs. The conversations happened there. Uh, so it, it's, it's an important aspect of our history. Oh, yes. Bagels and schmear. Um, one thing I wanted to say, though, is that you're going to be using the same glass. So especially if you like this Pilsner and like to consume it, you might want to taste some more of it before dumping it out because they're about to come around and do the second pouring here in a little bit. It's funny how time moves along here. So we've got four separate pairings and beers here, so it's pretty exciting. For the um, second course... I couldn't help but do bagels. I mean, there's another thing that's just so endemic to our understanding and what we think about New York foods. And so I said, let's do, let's, let's do a bagel with some schmear and maybe some lightly smoked salmon lox. So uh, that's what we have in front of us. And um, uh, we're going to bring out Made in the Shade. Made in the Shade is, we, we make a lot of hoppy beers. We love hops. Uh, we also love a lot of different things about beers, but we live in the Willamette Valley. Willamette Valley is responsible for about 25% of the U.S. hop crop in the nation. Um, and uh, up in the Yakima Valley in Washington is where uh, over 70%. And then there's some fields in Idaho that are making up a few percentage points now and gaining, um, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so we're very fortunate living in Eugene, Oregon, to be so regionally focused uh, we're able to source ingredients incredibly locally. The, like I said, the malt that we used for this Pilsner that you had was uh, sourced from Montana and Idaho. Um, most of our grains really come from Washington, Montana, and Idaho. And our local maltster, who actually malts our barley for us, is only 100 miles away, just north of Portland and, and Vancouver, Washington. Um, and I also like to mention that we uh, source our water from the McKenzie River uh, in Oregon, which has been ranked... Uh, two different times, best drinking water in the continental United States. Um, you can imagine that Alaska and Hawaii probably have some pretty nice water, too, given their location and, and uh, lack of density of population. But we're really proud. That's one of the reasons why I started the brewery in Eugene was because of the water source itself. Uh, it's our number one ingredient in all beer. And it makes for some really wonderful brewing water. It's incredibly neutral. Uh, we use brewing salts to uh, uh, approximate other regions of the world's waters for their beers. So that's a con consideration that all brewers do, not just us. But it is an important aspect of what we do. And so we're able to simply heat the water, which releases the uh, chlorine that's left in solution out, and uh, basically make beer from that straight up. So no reverse osmosis, no other treatment of the water on the way in. So it's pretty amazing for us. Uh, so that's one of the main points for us. We were able to source things locally. So that was one of the things I was excited about, preparing local New York foods with Oregon beers. Uh, we don't use a micromaltster, but I'm glad you asked that because uh, actually one of our brewers, Anders Johansson, is a part of a micromalting project that's in the northern Willamette Valley. Uh, and he actually just malted his own barley uh, for a beer that he made last week. Uh, we made a steam California... I love to say this. It's a California-style common ale, legally. Um, but uh, there's nothing really common about malting your own you know, barley and stuff like that. So that's very small done. But it took him a, a number of... Tr not tries, but it took him a while to, to be able to malt enough grain to be able to brew one batch of beer at Ninkasi with. So it's really awesome that uh, we do have a little bit of tendrils in that way. And we do try to support the smaller farmers, both in, Marley, uh, in barley and as well as hops. Absolutely. And uh, talking a little bit about the ingredients and the, the sourcing side, I think it is always interesting to uh, think back on the history of beer and note that a lot of the styles that you're familiar with and the styles that have become popular over time were created for specific uh, 
reasons surrounding the areas where they were developed. So loggers got developed in colder climates where they fermented at colder temperatures and took longer. Um, the, uh, as Jamie mentioned, the, the pH and the mineral content of the water is more suitable for certain styles of beer. So if we're making a Pilsner, you know, originally it was the water that allowed them to create these beers where when we make it, we have to adjust the water that we get naturally. But as a part of that, and in the Northwest, our beers, for the most part, tend to be Northwest-style ales, which are driven by the access to local ingredients that we have. Typically, we have a lot of hops in our beers and a lot of... Uh, a lot of flavor in there, and that I think is kind of a cultural uh, orientation of Northwest Brewing as one of the original craft brewing sort of centers of the United States. I think it was that access to regional ingredients and that focus on creating big, flavorful ales that really created the uh, sort of excitement around Northwest beers. And Made in the Shade, um, which Jamie will talk about as it pairs with this, was a beer that we created for a specific festival that happens every year, the Oregon Country Fair out in Oregon, which is a lot of fun, um, but uh, very hoppy, and to bring people into the Northwest and show them what we like to do. And the artwork was done by a friend of ours who happened to be Jerry Garcia's daughter, so another really close tie-in to uh, Oregon and uh, the culture out there. Yeah, Made in the Shade. Um, we, we like to have a lot of fun with names, and we're kind of punny about things. And Made in the Shade is definitely a reference to the band Iron Maiden. And... Um, as, as Nico said, it was kind of awesome about having Annabelle Garcia uh, be a part of the project is that she obviously loves the Grateful Dead through and through. She ran the family business for the last 22 years and has now handed it over and escaped to the desert to become the full-time artist that she already was while running her family business. But uh, what's awesome about it is that she loves all music, and she kind of agreed with us that the country fair is still stuck back in the Grateful Dead age. That's kind of, it's kind of like a renaissance fair and a bunch of hippies kind of connected together in sort of a way. That's kind of the outside image of it. But it is really a community-driven, craft-oriented situation where everything that's sold on that property is craft-made, you know, by hand, no matter what it is. There's no things imported or anything that's just brought in. It's all hand-done. But what was cool about it is I wanted to bring a little metal, a little rock and roll to the scene there. And uh, so it was great to be able to match the imagery of uh, the band Iron Maiden and this cultural reference that we have here for a long time in Eugene. What This beer has sometimes been deemed a summer-style IPA, which is kind of a weird category or name for it. and I, uh, We just love to call it another IPA for us. But it has seven different hop varieties that are in it. It also has some flake barley in it. The flake barley uh, makes for a smoother drinkability. So again, when I go back to saying balance, this has a lot of hop flavor in it. Um, and is significantly bitter. It's 72 IBUs um, and is 6.9% alcohol. Right? 6.9, right? 6.9. Yeah. So I, I sometimes want to say it's 7.2, but it's 6.9. Um, anyway, what I love about it is uh, with this pairing here, and you're more than welcome to taste your, sh your bagel and schmear, is that you've got that wonderful texture that comes from the bagels, real New York bagels. Uh, you've got the schmear, that cream cheese that's in there, and then extra salty goodness that comes from the salmon that cuts right through the hops. So fat begots fat, or oils, and it is hops. Uh, the bitterness that's provided in hops comes from oil, so it's oil-based. It's not water-soluble. So when you mix fats with fats, it's good. And when you bring salt out, it magnifies flavor. So it's kind of a cool to and fro as far as that goes. It turned out really good. It's kind of a, I just kind of said, let's do this, you know, but it, it worked out really wonderful. Uh, this beer does great with cheese in general um, and uh, actually all kinds of food. Uh, we, we've been able over the course of time to show people. So a lot of times people are afraid of hoppy beers and food. They think that they don't balance well or they don't pair well. But it comes down to the beer itself, not just a style and a category. And so because we believe that beer is food, and that it should be a part of all food and consumption. It's not counterplay. It's actually a part of the food process. And so we make beers that are really uh, full-flavored, and they pair well with food. That's, that's it. I mean, the Pilsner that you had is definitely one of the more crisp and refined flavors that we try to produce um, as a brewery. Most of the time, we kind of play around a lot. Our ales tend to be whatever we want to do, um, and uh, we have a lot of fun with it. Yep, and this is a great pairing, and I in particular love to drink uh, hoppy beers and the hoppy beers that we make with spicy foods. So if you're a spicy beer enthusiast, uh, strong hoppy beers really tend to pair well. They help to sort of wash that spice off and kind of contribute to the whole experience. So 
that's another 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 thing to try out um, as you sort of investigate beer and food pairings more. Does anybody have any burning questions right now? Just enjoying enjoying the experience in the moment. One of the things that I'll expand upon with the spicy foods part of that is that if you've ever had gone to Thai food or Mexican food that's really spicy, your first tendency is to grab a glass of water and throw it back. Now what happens when you do that is it washes everything else off your tongue except for the pepper oil. So all the sugars, the carbohydrates, the salt, uh, any sourness that might have been in it, all of that goes away and what's left is just the raw heat. So what's cool about hoppy beers is that uh, the oils that are in the hops start to compete with the oils that are on your tongue from the peppers. And so it allows for you to help erase that away and prepare yourself for the next spicy bite. So they work together to allow you to exchange flavor back and forth in a more fulfilling way. And probably... Uh, yeah, hops do m m many things to beer. Uh, one of the primary things that it does is obviously bitterness. That's what it's associated with. It also gives aroma and it gives flavor. And it, uh, the bitterness is associated with alpha acids. Alpha acids are the part of the hop that actually creates the bitterness. Beta acids are the ones that produce aroma, which is a part of your olfactory and flavor. So the later the addition, um, that oil-based nature in hops has to go through an isomerization process. Otherwise, it would float on the top of the beer like oil and pasta water. So it actually takes at least, an, not quite an hour, but it takes a, a good period of time for that isomerization to happen, which is a loose bonding of the materials that keeps it in suspension. And, um, uh, um, wow, the belch that sit your brain away, right? Um, anyway, um, uh, but based on that, the... Uh, uh, wow, I just totally lost my train of thought there. That was awesome. So, so the, uh, the isomerization. Oh, the isomerization. But the, to, to the actual point of what your, conversa or your question was is that the Whirlpool hops. We do have a Whirlpool. Uh, we actually have a five-vessel brewing system that uh, allows for us to make nine batches of beer in a day. And uh, the Whirlpool is uh, an incredible part of it. We're actually researching uh, a new hop uh, style of, uh, or a new way to introduce hops into beer, because of the amount of hops that we use, our whirlpool situation is kind of futile, and that uh, gravity wins, and the wort is absorbed inside of it, and we have to look for more ways to reclaim the beer that's already in those hops, and so we're working with um, uh, GEA, who's the manufacturer of our brewery, to hopefully create a solution to this in the long run, too, but yes, we do, and we've been working a lot more since we have a new whirlpool than our original one in there. We've been working to play with those coefficients to see not just how much aroma extra that we're getting out of that Whirlpool edition that we've always done, but we're monitoring it more, but also the bitterness we get, because you still leach bitterness out of that time period. And so with the additions of hops, there's typically three and sometimes a fourth that happens during uh, fermentation, but the earlier the addition, the longer that it boils, the more bitterness it adds, so you tend to use higher alpha hops early in the process. Then in the second and third editions, you're looking for more of the flavor and aroma components uh, from the hops, so different varieties have different purposes within the process, and they are added at different points to uh, draw out the characteristics that you're looking for. Yeah, and um, uh, again, back to that, the water chemistry and stuff like this, we add gypsum to the, to the kettle and to the mash, and that brings out hop flavor. As a salt, it magnifies flavor, so it's actually bringing that extra zing that's out there. So you can use softer waters that do different things, but this really brings out sort of the sharpness of flavor in hops. All right. Yes. Um, well, the honest answer to that, actually, <laughs> is, again, I was saying that this is a cultural festival that uh, um, is a lot of fun, and... The original beer that was made for that was by a different brewery in Eugene called the Wild Duck, and they made a peach beer, which is actually pretty horrible, um, or at least they didn't care about it. And uh, The peach pit is sort of the symbol for this festival, so they made a peach beer. And so when Nikos and I were honored and asked to be uh, the brewer that supplied beer, and we, basically we supply beer for all the entertainment 
and for all the staff that's a part of this festival. It's not an alcohol event in the public, so it's, it's protected that way. Um, so I decided that instead of the peach pit that I would do the best that I could to give you a different you know, reference for that. And so it's pretty much like the dankest pot smelling as tops that we can get out of the Northwest. So um, it's a little nod to, uh, to what goes on Oregon in our Country valley. Fair. Oregon Country Fair is greatest. All right, so I think the next beer is going to come out now. Um, our flagship, Total Domination IPA, to talk a little bit about is the first beer that we ever brewed uh, before Jamie gets into the more technical side of the flavor components. But uh, the first beer that we ever brewed, and it is the beer that uh, we sell the most of. About 60% of uh, all of our sales are Total Domination IPA. And it was really um, released at a time when IPAs were gaining in popularity, but they were not the most popular beer style. Uh, currently, IPAs have now surpassed and become uh, sort of the leading craft beer style in the United States. So there are a lot of IPAs out there now. But when we started and when we made this beer, um, it was one of the first uh, IPA flagships that a brewery had created. And uh, so um, it's been a very big part of our company and a big part of our business. And so it's been a great beer. And um, I still love this beer uh, and probably drink more of it than any other beer that we make. <laughs> you do your 60% share there, at least? <laughs> yeah, at least 60%. <laughs> All right, so what, what, I'll, I'll talk about the food first so you can nibble at it. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to pair this beer with really sharp cheddar cheese. And uh, this is a New York source cheddar cheese sharp. Um, and it, again, you've got all that fat, and then you've got some of the structure that comes from the, the sharpness of the cheese. And it does really well and, and counterbalances all the real intense grapefruit and citrus flavor that's in the total domination. Uh, this is 6.7% alcohol and 65 IBUs. We use Summit, Amarillo, and Crystal hops in it in a way that um, we think makes an incredibly unique IPA. There's a lot of IPAs in the world. There's a lot of beautiful hops in the world. Um, and what we did is we put together a beer. Um, well, I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen anybody use that combination of hops outside of it. But anyway... Uh, not important to that. But uh, again, the focus of this beer is balance. So even for a hoppy beer, uh, this is 65 IBUs, but we leave residual sugar in the body that magnifies the flavor and the aroma principles of hops. So you, the, the carbon dioxide in the beer is releasing the volatiles into your nose. That's bringing that awareness. And then the flavor is captured in the sugar itself. So it's kind of hop candy-like. Um, we have our double IPA downstairs in the in the savor itself, and that is even a bigger expression of that. So there's 8.8% alcohol. That one's a little more floral than specifically citrus. It has its citrus elements to it, but it's a lot more floral in terms of its hop character, but it's kind of like hop candy. It just sits there. So um, sometimes people taste those beers side by side and say that they perceive that the beer, that the total domination is more bitter than our double IPA. When our double IPA is 100 IBUs, and this beer is 65 IBUs, but the human palate is really only capable of about 70 to 80 IBUs. So the rest of those IBUs are for flavor and aroma. So we're just telling you how we shove all the hops into this beer. It's not really about the bitterness above 80 IBUs. A lot of people really focus on that. Uh, but do yourself a break and just accept the beer for what it is and have a lot of fun at that 80 IBU range. Um, above that, just know that we're trying to shove a lot more aroma and flavor in it. Uh, with this and beer, quick, quick definition insertion, if you are, are not familiar with an IBU, it's an international bitterness unit, so it's a thank you, measurement Nikos. of the amount of hoppiness in a beer. So the higher the IBUs, the hoppier the beer technically is, and the human palate can't taste uh, bitterness above 100 IBUs. So kind of beers that go into the 100 plus, you're adding hop flavor, but you won't necessarily be able to sense more bitterness. Exactly. And so we had the first beer was 30 IBUs, the second beer was 72, and this one is 65, just for that point of reference as far as that goes. Um, so yeah, so Total Domination has become kind of a, obviously our trademark in, in terms of what we wanted to do originally. It's, um, it's been kind of an incredible journey to uh, watch IPAs grow in the United States. Um, literally, when you went to the grocery store when we started, we share, Oregon is just, it's amazing for us. Depending on where you are in the state, it's 35 to 45% of all of the draft beer that's consumed in Oregon is craft brewed. Number one in the country. Number one in the country. We can call that one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Feel free to clap. 
Um, but it is absolutely amazing. We kind of live in a um, really a magical place in which people just really search and look, look for beers. But when we started our business in 2006, there were four IPAs, four or five IPAs in any grocery store. Now, when you go to the store, you see 30 to 40. And that's just IPAs. And then there's another 20 double IPAs. So that was part of our, our mission and journey, too, is that there were amazing IPAs all over the state in brew pubs. So you could go to any of these brew pub restaurants and, and taste amazing beers everywhere, incredible talent that's all over, well, all over the world, really. But they didn't have access to it. And so that we really saw that as our point. We wanted to start our brewery to, to put Eugene on the map for beer. So we have wonderful cities like Bend and Newport and Hood River that have much smaller populations than we do that have big national regional breweries in it. We're a little more focused in our bioregion in terms of where our sales are, but we really wanted to provide something other than just the glorious U of O ducks to be uh, something to be inspired for. Uh, So, and I am a a duck too, so just put that out there. Uh, But... um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been wonderful to watch. Now that when you go into a grocery store, you can see 20, 30, sometimes more IPAs everywhere, and a renaissance of hops has happened, and it's wonderful to see. So uh, anyway, so with the cheese here, does everyone get that, that sharpness? Does it taste good? Awesome. There's a, another cheese uh, producer up here, Beecher's, just started. Uh, they were first in Seattle, uh, and then now produce cheese out here as well, and that... I used to call the flagship to flagship pairing. It's like a, amazing. It's an even buttery version of a normal cheddar cheese, too. So lots of great New York options for cheddar cheese. Do you, Catherine, do you want to come up and do a little more introduction with the next thing that's coming on? Dessert pairing. All right, so for our last pairing, um, Rajni, would you come up here? Um, this is Rajni Donjani, okay, um, brand manager for Green and Black Organics. They are downstairs in the saver room with all the big tables. Um, they've brought a selection of chocolates, and uh, the last pairing, we're using their hazelnut currant. And Rajni's going to talk a little bit about the chocolate while the guys talk a little bit about the beer. So I'm going to start by asking you guys, what do you guys want to hear about first, the chocolate or the beer? (laughs) Well, I've enjoyed the session so far, by the way, and it truly was eye-opening. And so first and foremost, as a good guest, um, I will compliment our hosts for giving um, a very wonderful presentation tonight, as well as for the quality product that... uh, that clearly was birthed and, and, and continued to make with that passion. So thank you very much for that. Um, so for our dessert um, serving today, we have a green and blacks hazelnut and currant bar. It is 60% cacao. Um, the entire line, uh, actually let me back it up. The entire line of green and blacks bars um, are organic and fair trade certified. Um, whatever our inclusion bars may be. Inclusions are anything that's put in a plain bar of chocolate. So in this case, the hazelnuts, the currants, um, they are also organic certified. Um, and they are, uh, they probably take a couple years to develop the ideal bar. So we don't necessarily come out with new flavors every year. But when we do, we sort of echo Ninkasi's passion for creating an experience and creating something memorable um, and creating a product that you're really going to love. Um, the hazelnut and currant, um, and I apologize, the precise countries escape me. I probably have been enjoying your product a little too much tonight, as, and I encourage you all to do so safely. Um, but they are Mediterranean, uh, of Mediterranean origin. Um, I also welcome you know, each of you to look at the Green and Black's Facebook page because we do go into the stories of the bars. Um, I certainly don't want to steal your thunder too much. But we have a story that parallels the passion, the focus on quality, and the love for our consumers as do Nankasi. So thank you very much for this wonderful opportunity to pair with your yummy ales. And uh, I'm going to actually go empty out my glass so I can get some of that. Thank you.
Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. One of the most fabulous parts of this amazing industry that we have, the craft beer industry, is truly an amazing place to be. We get to experience so much wonderful partnerships, basically. And that's like one of the, the things that Nikos and I really keyed on in early on is that it's through relationships and strong connections that all wonderful things happen. So it's absolutely wonderful for you to be willing to come up here and share. Not everybody wants to get on the stage and talk, and it's super awesome to actually have one of the people that supplied some of the food that we had here tonight for each other. So it's super good. Tip of the hat back to you as well. Um, I, I, I was pretty excited about this pairing. Uh, we, we make Otis as an oatmeal stout. And then we also have Vanilla Otis. And Vanilla Otis is somewhat of a new release for us. We used to make little small projects of it here and there because, well, we're nerdy and we love food. Um, but Otis is an oatmeal stout. Uh, it's 7.2% alcohol. It's 50 IBUs, but it's not a very hoppy beer. So when you drink it, you're not going to think hoppiness. You're just going to have a balance that holds the rest of the flavor that's together. Oatmeal stouts, uh, the, our oatmeal stout has about 6% of its grist in actual rolled oats. Um, if you know anything about cooking, you know that uh, oatmeal turns into like a really gelatinous glob, and it makes for a long brew day for us, but it's worth it because of the flavor that comes from it. And flaked oats um, bring a smoothness and a, kind of a toasty flavor to it. Uh, this beer has a lot of roasted malt flavor that's in it as well. And the only difference between this beer and our normal Otis is that we put it on Madagascar, organic Madagascar vanilla beans at the end of its process. And so I love to use alcohol as a solvent that extracts flavor out of things. People that make flavored beers like a lot of times like to throw it in the kettle or even the mash tun and all this stuff. And every single tank it goes to until it's worked reduces the overall flavor impact. So why would you buy all this money for something, spend all this money on some, an ingredient and then not give it its full reign supreme. So what's wonderful about this beer is, uh, you know, we don't have the side-by-side -side tasting of it, but vanilla is a natural sweetener. It actually physically... Uh, let me see here. I'd love to have some of that. Thank you. So the only difference between this beer and our normal Otis is the vanilla beans itself. And so it really changes this beer. It makes it even more rich. It puts it kind of in a dessert-forward situation. Uh, oatmeal stouts and stouts in general get paired with desserts a lot. Uh, but stouts do wonderful things in all courses of food, depending on how your feeling and, and ability to pair flavors are with. But uh, we decided that we would throw the extra knot into it and throw some vanilla. It's incredibly popular um, amongst uh, sort of the foodies and the local group here. And so we wanted to bring that. And so we actually have this as a full-time 22-ounce serving uh, in addition to having Otis's 12-ounce bottles. So we have both of them. Um, at all times and just recently I did a, a food pairing actually two weeks ago in which they were side by side and it's it's fun to watch that happen where people are like this I can't believe that there's one simple thing that changes this beer and it does such a dramatic thing so you can go ahead and bring the the chocolates out oh they're there here Step nicely done another clever technique of hiding food clear <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well played <laughs> I was also really excited about this. I love chocolate. It's um, so powerful in our culture. It's another thing that goes straight to the soul. It releases endorphins and all kinds of things in your body that just make you so happy. And the same thing happens with the psychoactive nature of beer. And so there's nothing better to pair than our comfort of beer with our love of chocolate. And then uh, kind of a cultural jump back across the way. Hazelnuts are one of the really large produced crop in the, in the Oregon area. So we are one of the premier hazelnut areas of the universe. So um, we thought it would be great to kind of bring it back as well. And then currants are just wonderful. They just do just sugar. The plums and date flavors that kind of come out of currants and stuff like that are really add to the caramel complexity that's already in this beer. So it actually re-brings that back out of the structure of the beer. Because the vanilla tends to highlight the roasted principles of it and kind of softens some of the oatmeal flavor, but the currants are really going to bring that sugar back into that, even though there's all the cacao that's in there. That's pretty awesome. And uh, one of the things that we didn't mention earlier in sort of the sensory uh, portion, but is one of the most interesting things that I think I've learned in the last six months was that there's other, and they've just recently discovered this, but there's other organs in your body that sense flavor, uh, and the heart actually senses 
different flavor components and characteristics. The heart is a sensory organ, so in some instances, you really can taste it with your heart. So I just think it's, uh, it's a great explanation of umami. Umami is the Japanese word for comfort, and we didn't talk about gustation today, but that's a base principle on our tongue, is salt, sour, sweet, um, bitter, and umami. Um, and the Eastern culture is a lot more expressed with that. Uh, but that's where this study came from. And basically, we have receptors in our lungs and our hearts that are able to acknowledge both gustation and olfaction. And so it really helps answer the whole old proverb of why chicken noodle soup or miso soup or any of these brothy, rich things really serve us. Because when we're sick and feeling terrible, our olfactory system up here in our head is clogged up, but we feel it right here. And so we like to call it heartfelt flavor. And uh, that's a, a new thing for us. It, it literally gives me chills every time I think about it. Like, our heart really tastes things. It's awesome. So use your heart when you're tasting this, uh, this <laughs> round tasting here. chocolate yeah. and beer. <laughs> yeah, chocolate and beer. It's definitely it's for the, from the heart. More questions? Uh, questions? Questions? We got time for some questions? Yep. Well, you know, I mean, there's definitely, our, our friends in Ireland have definitely set the, set the pace, and, and in England as well. Um, stouts have been made forever. You know, uh, one of the things I like to do with an oatmeal stout is pair it with, um, uh, you know, like Cotswold. You know, the British have known it for a long time, little chives, little cheddar, little stout together. But I think that when you think about beer as a whole, people in our Western world come out of like a, a pretty singular version of beer, and then they go into the world of more of the world styles of beer. And some people are drawn immediately to hops, and some aren't. So I think that that's one of the counterpoints to that, is that a lot of people who think that they don't like beer will taste a stout, and then they'll actually go, wow, this is really good. And even more than that, like I think an imperial stout, like a nitro imperial stout that's warmed up, I mean, that's... That's right there in that sort of heart center, right? It's like, oh, man, it's a cold, wintry day. I've got this robust stout that's warmed up and just opened up and tastes wonderful, and you just feel great about it all. And I've just really noticed that. And after a course of time, as uh, it's kind of like us in coffee. Some people start with the latte and then get more bitter as they go. So it's kind of like that with beer as well. So they'll start with a stout, and they'll get into it, and then they'll get like into more aggressive stouts, which happen to also be more bitter. And then all of a sudden, they'll have like something that tastes bitter and grapefruity and be like, whoa, this is really cool, and go that way. So I think it's kind of a pathway that people go through. I mean, I was fortunate enough to love all things early on and that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that really has a lot to do with it. It's incredibly um, it's food-oriented, and it's, uh, um, I don't know, I think it just goes back... There's something deeper there, you know, culturally for us. Maybe it's... Yes? Um, so the question is, do we get experimental hops to work with? And we do, and it's a lot of fun. We have a single hop series that we've uh, developed that allows us to utilize typically new hops to, we brew it on the same uh, base of malt and the same recipe other than we substitute different styles of hops, which is a lot of fun for us to be able to um, test uh, their flavor characteristics and kind of isolate them. And it's been an interesting process and it's always fun to get a new hop and see what they're bringing to the table because there's equally uh, a lot of in innovation going on in the hop industry and OSU, Oregon State University is a big hop research school and so with uh, the Yakima and Willamette Valley being big hop-growing regions, there's a lot of new varieties coming out, which is really cool because different hops have different characteristics, different flavor, flavor profiles, and different aspects that they contribute. So to be able to have access to those and to work with them is a lot of fun for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's one of the pleasures for me. I, I started using Amarillo hops in 1997, back when it was a first-use hop. Probably one of, uh, that's a single farmer hop. So only one farmer really grows that. He's actually just started licensing that hop to other people finally. It was a patented um, hop. It was a patented hop, as happens. But um, what's cool about it is that I, I've literally been a part of his entire process of that hop now for, I don't know, 15, 17 years or no, 
Um, and so we buy a lot of that hop. And so we have that direct connection with the hop farmer itself. Um, we are just now planning a trip uh, with some, some riders and stuff that are going to be in Eugene to go out uh, and meet Doug Weathers, who grows uh, the crystal hops that we use for Total Domination and some of our other beers. And it's, it's, we have that deep relationship with hops that way and the, the people that make it. And it's, uh, it's pretty wonderful. Like, even... 10 or 15 years ago, hop farmers and brewers didn't hang out that much. And it was uh, me and uh, Carl Ockert, who used to be the brewmaster for Bridgeport, were hanging out with some hop growers. And we're like, why don't we hang out with these? We're like, what the hell? What's wrong with us? So we put the move that way. And now we have a really wonderful connection with our hop growers who attend our conferences and vice versa. And, and uh, we, we share each other's lives and care about each other's families and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. And uh, within even a same vari- the same variety of hop, you can have variations across fields and things like that. So again, with our regionality and also the amount of hops that we use, we have the opportunity during harvest season to go out and uh, directly handle and uh, select and source the lots from the blocks and the crops that we want to use for our beers for that year. So it's another way that we have a direct connection and can really choose one of our primary ingredients to be exactly what we want uh, to put into our beers. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. We, when we do fresh hop beers, we actually drive 60... I know you want to get us off, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm a big, loud mouth. Catherine knows this about me, so that's all good. But what I wanted to, do want to finish of, about this, though, is it is one of the more special relationships we have. We make total crystallation, which is total domination with 500 pounds of crystals in the finish. Uh, and it's... it's dazzlingly awesome and so it's a wonderful tribute to harvest we actually go up to the farm we get them fresh picked off and they're in the kettle the same day so they they haven't been treated in any way they're wet they're fresh and they totally do a different thing and that's how awesome it is to live in oregon come visit yep and i I get i'm allowed to say one more thing just briefly but i think i think one of the things that i love about beer and one of the things that i hope everyone here appreciates is i think the more you know and the better the connection you have to it the the more that you can enjoy it and it's also all about the experience you're having when you're drinking the beer i think people ask jamie and i a lot what's your favorite beer what's your favorite beer that you make and really it has to do with what's your favorite experience around the beer that you're drinking and so i hope that everyone uh appreciates that and when you leave here you know beers are great uh, go out, drink good beer, have good experiences, enjoy the company of each other, and enjoy your life. So thanks a lot for coming. Cheers. Savor the experience is what he's saying. Big thank you to Nikos and Jamie and Rajni. Have a great night, you guys. Thank you so much for coming out to Savor. Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2013, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2013, as well as all the salons from previous years at craftbeerradio.com slash savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.